0: Alright, so last week uh, we talked about our enemy, we talked about his tactics, we talked about demons and how they operate this week. We're going to be talking about our allies and focus on the battle plan of angels. Now, one of the things that I I just want to point out, and the reason that we showed a couple of these cartoons, is one of the ways that angels are portrayed in pop culture is being very weak. All right. so every time the little shoulder devil shows up, he's able to just you know, poke the angel with his pitchfork, he goes away, until, until the angel finally is willing to stoop to that shoulder devil's level. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Or even some of the shows ever since Touched by an Angel uh, went off the air. Anybody see that? Did you know, a little bit of trivia, did you know that Touched by an Angel ran for nine seasons? That just blew my mind uh, when I saw that. I didn't watch a whole lot of it. I think I might have seen the episode or two or something like that. But ever since then angels have always had a little bit of a grittier edge have you noticed that where where they've always got to you know just kind of just just kind of cross the line just a little bit and that's when they're really able to kick butt and that's kind of how how they're portrayed they kind of stoop down to the level of the demons and don't get me wrong it's terribly satisfying you know to see you know because all of us kind of want to use a little bit of that edge, you know, to to get ahead. But I think it says a lot more about us and how we react to our enemies than it does uh, say about God and how he commands his heavenly hosts to help us in spiritual war. So so think about playing sports, for example. Maybe you watch some college football this weekend. Maybe you have a favorite team that you follow. And one of the things that you've noticed about sports teams is if they play a team that is not as good as they are, they can tend to play down to their level. Have you, have you seen this happen before? All right, so Virginia Tech fans, you know very deeply and viscerally what that's like, right? And, and I am come from a Virginia Tech family, and, I, I, like, I understand that. Maybe the team that they're playing against is playing terribly, and, and the team gets so caught up in that they begin to play down to their opponent, or maybe they're playing really well, uh, and, and it just seems overwhelming. So what's the halftime pep talk? that the coach gives to his team. If they're playing down to the level of the other team, or if they seem like they're being overwhelmed, what do they say? They say, play your game. Like, you know how you've been prepared, you know how we've practiced, you know how we have a game plan, and we're gonna come in there, and we've become so distracted by what this other team is doing, whether it's great or whether it's horrible, that we're playing down to their level, and we're not playing our own game. And then, when you don't play your own game, then you end up beating yourself, And whether you win or lose, you don't really find much satisfaction in your effort. And what happens when you have an opponent that is crafty and deceitful and cheats like the devil and his demons, the knowledge that those evil tactics have been used against you can make it seem like the odds are unfair, and the only way to win is to fight fire with fire, is to stoop down to the level of your opponent. This is how we end up treating those who ought to be our neighbors as our enemies, and how we treat our enemies, and how our enemies don't even make it onto our prayer lists. Like Jesus says, he actually does say this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That There are very different tactics when it comes to the spiritual warfare that we're all drawn into in the spiritual realm when it comes to our enemy and it comes to our allies. Playing down to the level of the adversary suggests that evil is worth engaging on its own terms, but as you might expect, not only is it not necessary, but it also misses the mark of how God wants us to engage in spiritual battle. And so here, here's just kind of uh, something we're going to hang as we talk about our allies in the spiritual war. Here's what we're going to hang our hats on uh, this morning as we think about our part and our side in the spiritual battle. In spiritual warfare, the tactics of evil come out of desperation but the tactics of good come out of celebration. And the reason that is is because we are already part of the victorious side in this battle. The victory over sin and death have already won. In fact, uh, for our allies, the angels, celebration is a primary function. In Psalm chapter 103, verses 20 through 22, this is, this is what uh, the angels are called to do. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. I mean this is this is the foundational piece of how God chooses to wage his side of the spiritual battle and how he calls us into it. Now our allies the angels, it simply means in both Old Testament and New Testament the word angel simply means messenger. These are the spiritual beings that God has created to assist us, to give us God's message, to give us his word, to share his will for us in our lives. And while God doesn't need angels to carry out his will, the Bible defines angels as being those who he works through. They are his heavenly host. I don't know if you knew this, but in uh, back in the day, host actually was another word for army. And that is how the angels are described. They are innumerable. they are too many to count. And they're God's heavenly hosts that carry out his will. They do battle with Satan and demons in the spiritual realm. Here's one description of one of these battles in Revelation chapter 12. After a description of the birth of Jesus, John describes this spiritual battle that took place. Revelation 12 verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven after the birth of Jesus and during his ministry. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So, the Bible doesn't, and we've talked about this before, when our first very first sermon in the series, the Bible doesn't go into great detail about spiritual warfare and the battle in the spiritual realm. It doesn't give a whole lot of things that happen, but we get glimpses in what's going on in the fight for, uh, for our souls when it comes to spiritual warfare and God fighting against the enemy. Michael is only one of two angels that are named in the Bible. Michael is an archangel. He leads part of the heavenly host for God. Gabriel is the other one who's mentioned. You might remember him as the guy who's hanging out in the nativity scene. So when you break out your nativity scene for Christmas, he's the one that came and announced the birth of Jesus to Mary. I'll never forget one of the biggest ticket items Some of you remember Heaven and Earth that was here in Richmond, the Christian bookstore. I worked there for a little while, and one of the biggest ticket items that were sold that were really popular at the store were these huge, I I think they were huge, I mean they were this big, I guess they were made of porcelain pastel painted angels, All right, And if you have one of these, I'm not making fun or anything, I'm just... You know, just saying, like, as a fact of the matter, that's one of the really popular things. And it was really interesting because they were always, like, contorted in these weird, like, positions and stuff. I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if that evokes movement or something like that, but they're always, like, holding a harp really awkwardly or a sheep or something like that. It was very, uh, very interesting. They had pleasant enough looks on their faces, but always struck me as odd. Uh, That's probably not the best picture of an angel in the way the Bible describes it. Couple different types of angels in the Bible, but um, you know, like one of, one of the things, one of the reactions when an angel comes and visits someone and gives them a message from God, the reaction of that person, the hearer of the message, is not, oh, how cute, you know, it's, you know don't, please don't kill me, you know, kinda, is kind is of the reaction that's going on there. So, angels are not these cute. You know, babies with wings holding harps, you know, little cherubs that, that are kind of floating around in the clouds and, and uh, making beautiful music with harps. They're not people who die and become angels. I'm very sorry to ruin It's a Wonderful Life for You and Clarence, you know, trying to do his good deed to earn his wings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they, people do not die and become angels. In fact, the Bible makes a very clear distinction uh, between human beings and angels. In fact, uh, eventually, we will be in a position above the angels. Angels do not leave feathers floating as signs. So, I'd, you know, it's just because you see a white feather floating somewhere randomly, it doesn't mean that there's something there that you need to look for behind that. Um, and anytime there is an interaction between humans and angels identified in the Bible, angels are very clear to separate themselves from any form of worship or glorification or honor when it comes to I mean that is their place before God is to give him the glory him the worship and him the honor and so there are a few things there that I just kinda of wanted to debunk for us there's some misconceptions about what angels are what they do why they exist uh, and and so I wanted to make sure we we hit those items here's what angels do though they praise God like I said earlier that's one of their primary functions I'm 103 we read that Luke chapter 2 verse 14 there's a great example angels showed up saying uh, the text there says they say. I don't know if angels sing or not you know because it says they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests and so they praise God for who he is they glorify him they're God's messengers as their name means uh, regularly throughout the Old Testament, we can see angels showing up. Even through the New Testament, angels show up and give God's message. They share his word with people who need to hear what it, what it says. They carry out judgments from God as his messengers. Uh, in the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God will send his angels to mete out justice. You can look in Acts chapter 12, verse 23. Um, An angel of the Lord struck down Herod because he did not give praise to God. So they're God's messengers. Angels do battle against the accuser and his demons. You can look back to Revelation chapter 12, which we just read, but there are other indicators as well that there is this war that is going on behind the scenes. In Jude verse 9, there is the recounting of the archangel Michael who is disputing with Satan. And this is a battle that is ongoing. And they will accompany Jesus at his victorious second coming in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7. Uh, when Jesus is revealed at His second coming from heaven in blazing fire, He will be accompanied by His heavenly host, His powerful angels. And finally, angels minister to believers. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 7, we read that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. Are are there guardian angels? The Bible doesn't really talk about us having bodyguards. And enough of us have gotten in enough trouble um, that, that we know we could probably use one, uh, but we haven't really had one there that has kept us from all harm and pain. And uh, so, so there's not really guardian angels that we have or any, anything like that, although there are certainly moments in which God sends his angels as rescuers and protectors. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we do know that all angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. The, this is this is what God has done to give us uh, to give us allies in the spiritual battle, and here's why. Like why do why do angels? Exist? Why do we not know more about them and all that kind of stuff? I, I get all those questions, but here's why angels exist: is to show and to prove to us that God is endlessly fighting on our behalf. Endlessly fighting on our behalf, no matter what struggle we're going through, He is endlessly fighting on our behalf. He has created spiritual beings, heavenly hosts to fight on our behalf endlessly. And we could get bogged down in the how many angels could dance on the head of a pin question. We can get bogged down to how exactly does this whole spiritual realm thing work, but to a degree that's all beside the point. Let, let, me, let me show you what I mean by going back to our anchor verse for the series, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms one of the most important things to remember in that verse is within the first three words for our struggle our struggle doesn't mean just my struggle, me by myself your struggle doesn't mean just you by yourself dealing with the thing that you're dealing with our struggle means our struggle it's more than just us going through our struggles. We have an enemy, yes, but we also have allies. We have angels, a heavenly host, a heavenly army of created spiritual beings who powerfully and victoriously engage the evil one. And it seems like uh, like we could stop right there, like we've kind of said, uh, we've highlighted what Scripture has to say about angels and how they, uh, the, how they help us out, what they do and all those kinds of things. And maybe it seems like, well, that kind of evens the playing field there because Satan has his demons, Satan is a, is a fallen angel, maybe he's kind of like an, arch, was an archangel, kind of like Michael, and so they can kind of go at it. And, and there's, a, you know, there's a 50-50 shot there that's, that's going on. But God doesn't even stop there when it comes to allies for us. He does something even more awesome and more breathtaking than creating heavenly hosts to fight on our behalf. He also gives us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divine Spirit of God, person of God, interacting directly with our souls. And here's why that's even more significant than angels. The Holy Spirit is God endlessly fighting with us, fighting in us, fighting through us. Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit in such a way to his disciples to let them know, even though I have to leave, Jesus has to leave, you are going to have the very presence of God indwelling you and gifting you to live your life and to fight against The fiery darts of the evil one. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 and then skip down to 25 through 27. Here's what he says to his disciples. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And so Jesus gives his disciples those who are tasked with sharing his message with fighting for the souls of others, with ministering to all believers. And he says, I'm going to give you this gift, the very presence of God, to be able to work in you and enable this to be possible in in your life. The Holy Spirit, the divine person of God interacting with our soul. And I know I've repeated that, but this is such a profound truth when it comes to our struggles and the spiritual battle at war within us and around us, that, that I don't know that we hold on to enough. That, that it's not just that like we have angels versus demons and so there's this kind of equal you know, thing that God does to fight the enemy. The, the enemy is made rendered so much more impotent <laughs> that, we, that we have the very presence of God at work within us in the midst of our struggles that that the holy spirit is living and active within our lives daily to support us in this life the holy spirit is a gift that we are given at our conversion in acts chapter 2 verse 38 when Peter gives the first ever gospel message, and he gives the first ever, if, you want it, if you've want, been around church, you know, you might call this an altar call, but there's no altar there uh, for this. He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us spiritually renewed. In Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4, Paul writes, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is the victory that we already live in and experience in the midst of our spiritual battles. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Already. Already. Because of Christ Jesus. We've already been adopted as sons. And that is just scratching the surface of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. These are the actions of God in your life with you eternally, endlessly, as a Christ follower, that is destroying the power of the accuser in your life with his power as your advocate. And that's just the beginning. Life is hard. Sin is real. Temptation is strong. Transformation takes time. And when we try to do all of that, we fail. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the power for that. But God's gift to us is to let His Spirit come to live inside and alongside our soul. To bring us strength in the midst of the struggle. And while we live this life, while we walk the walk that Jesus walked, we talk the talk that Jesus talked, the Holy Spirit is there to help us all the way. We're told he communicates when we don't have the words and all we can do is groan at our best in the midst of our struggle. The Holy Spirit communicates our heart to God for us. The Holy Spirit teaches us when we don't know the answers. The Holy Spirit counsels us to help us find the truth. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts that we wouldn't have without him. The ability to discern, the ability to teach, the ability to encourage, the ability to see Miraculous things happen, spiritual realities impacting the physical realm because God gives us his presence to be with us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes this. He says, If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I want you to imagine for a second um, fighting an army, being at war with an enemy that cannot die. What would your mentality be? Like what can you think of like what would your tactics be? I mean, you don't have any option. I mean, you've got to fight them. They're attacking, they're breaking down your gates but they cannot die, what would you do? What would your tactics be? See, as Christ followers, we're the ones who, who cannot die. And in, in the gates of hell, they're the ones that cannot stand up in the face of the gospel. We're the ones that, that God resurrects and gives us the gift of redemption and resurrection through his son Jesus. That's the power of the gospel that we we're invited into. And the greatest, the greatest lie that Satan could convince us of is to not desire that resurrection in our life. That's the best he can do, is to try to distract us so much with our physical issues and our spiritual struggles and the things that are going at, on, the, the wars that we're having in our hearts and our minds and with the people that we live with and the people that we love and the people that we're enemies with and our, our, our neighbors. It's to distract us so much... With, with the evil that seeks to overwhelm us to cause us to not want to experience and live out that resurrection life. That's the best thing that he can possibly do is to convince us. It, it can't be to kill and destroy because he's already been defeated from that. It is to convince us to not want to be resurrected. And here's, here's why it's important to know this and to remember this truth is that in our darkest struggle, we are never alone. We're never alone. As Christ followers, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are never alone, and God is continually, endlessly fighting on our behalf. So I just want to give you a picture of what I think this looks like in real life. Okay, because that's one of the things and we're going to explore this a lot more next week, and I hope you're here for that as we close uh, the series out next week on what it looks practically. But I, I want to give you a picture, I just want to give you a taste of what I think this all looks like in real life. Because let's be honest, that's how we think of this, right? Okay, we're talking about the spiritual thing, and then here's this thing over the side. Or, or what about real life? How does this impact real life? And we're talking about the physical world. Well, a couple weeks ago, um, I went down to Wilmington, North Carolina, and we went down to do some hurricane relief, and a couple guys went with me. This is uh, Mason uh, on the far side, and that's Bob in the middle, and that's me. And we went down to Wilmington. This is Missy's house, all right? Just so, just so you know, you don't know who Missy is, and I didn't either. We went to Missy's house as part of this trip, and she lived out in Bergall, North Carolina. And uh, just to give you an idea of, of what we were doing while we were down there, uh, a lot of water had come up because of Hurricane Florence, so we're going down helping people out. And one of the big things you have to do is muck out your house. So mold doesn't grow. All right And I didn't take uh, pictures inside of Missy's house uh, because we're helping her out, and you don't really want to I, I don't know, it just feels weird. You know what I mean? In the midst of some, somebody going through something like this. That, hey, I'm going to take the picture so I can show other people. Um, but, but the next picture, I'll, I'll just kind of give you an idea. This is what we were doing. We were basically taking, the best way I, I can describe it to, to folks is, generally speaking, we are taking about four feet and down. Everything that was four feet and down in the house, in all of these houses, we were taking all of that out. So all the drywall, all the insulation, all the flooring, all the way down the subfloor, uh, any mattresses, clothing, like anything that you can think of. We were ripping all that out. And you would have to take that out to the side of the road. And I've got a couple other pictures just to le- kind of let you know. You can kind of see it going down both sides. You had to take that out to the side of the road and dump it so the, the county could come and pick it up as, as they went. Um, so so pretty pretty tough. For her, pretty tough. For Missy, it was a very sobering Experience as you, as you can imagine. Um, and yet she was so grateful that we were there. I mean, she was so thankful. She hugged all of us before we left. Uh, th- th- there were people who didn't even know her, working so hard along with her and alongside of her, start cleaning up her property and help her to put the pieces of her life back together. It was heartbreaking. It was sobering, and yet it was a beautiful moment. And I thought, I thought that was going to be the significant thing, like we we helped out Missy and that's great, you know we we, we did this cool thing, that was not the significant thing, it was one of the significant things, but not the the thing, so um so you see some of these pictures and we'll keep going, um, to this one. So, on our way to Missy's house, uh, we had passed a church that had a Red Cross van sitting in the parking lot and they were giving free meals and so we decided to come back there for lunch, and I was a little di- just. Moment of transparent transparency. I was disappointed because I wanted to make it a record five trips to Bojangles uh, in in that trip. So I was hoping we'd go somewhere with indoor plumbing and that would be great. But instead, we went to Red Cross free meal, uh, which ended up being the best thing that we could possibly done in this trip. So this church, we thought the doors were open and we thought, oh, we go. We th- we thought they were serving food throughout the church, but the water had actually been in the church as well. And I don't know. You could probably see the spots where the Uh, mold is but I don't know if you can tell the the water line is is right there. So it'd come all the way up there and there was mold already coming up on the ceiling and around this church there were probably 25 homes most of the people were related to each other and the water had been close up to uh, some of the homes the water had been up to the eaves and so they basically lost everything. So we were there we walked in there I mean we just smelled the mold like from the porch of the church Uh, There were kids hanging out there. They were eating. I mean, this is their home. This is their community, and we're getting food, and there are other people who live there that were working, and one guy was coming up and telling us how, yeah, I can't ever do this again. This is too much. This is too overwhelming, so he's already looking for property to move uh, somewhere else in a way from a place where generations of this family had lived and dealt with this throughout the years, and it, it was tough. But soon, uh, we kind of had a group of people around us, and we ended up praying, circling up and praying with those people there. Um, and that was one of the highlights of the trip. One of the things that I didn't know that was happening and didn't know what was going on is that a couple days later, I found out that my friend, who we were down there working with, uh, was on the phone with another friend of his who, uh, they had started an organization and wearing the shirt for that to help people out, and it, it was great, all that kind of stuff. He was, he was on the phone with his friend, he was saying, hey, I've got, I've got a minister here from this local church who their community could really use some help. And come to find out, after my friend uh, and their organization had decided that this little area in Burgall, North Carolina, was going to become kind of their focal point for where they were going to start working and, and pouring resources to, is that the minister that this other guy had on the line, completely separate, and disc- was the minister of that church. They had no no idea that there was already this connection that was made and prepared days in advance before that they were desperate looking for people to come in because the Red Cross was leaving the next day. So there wasn't going to be anybody else there to help. And so since that time, my friend and their organization have been centered there in that community, building sheds, helping people out, muck out their houses, all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure there was you know an emotional response there I know that over the phone they were just thinking man how crazy is this that all these connections are made and sure you could say it's circumstance but as much as as much as we might think that that maybe we're doing something of significance with our life or maybe fighting the toughest battle that we've ever had to face in our life those realities will always pale the good, the best, and the worst, those realities will always pale in comparison to the work God is doing in us and with us and through us for his glory in the spiritual realm. Yes, we have allies through the angels in the spiritual realm, but man, we have the indwelling spirit of God who is at work planning things that we don't really have a clue about And so when it comes to this spiritual warfare, this battle that we all face against evil, don't forget this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Let's pray. God, I want to, I just want to offer you glory. Um, It is difficult because of the distraction that we have to be overwhelmed by the concept that we are indwelt with your spirit. And God, give us the opportunities to pause and to be confronted with that truth. God, help us to have moments where we're struck by the awesomeness of your presence in your life. Whether it's through celebration, whether it's dealing with a struggle uh, that we're facing in our lives, God, help us to know what it means to already be victorious over sin and death and how that changes how we operate and how we live our lives, how we treat each other that you are fighting with us, that you are alongside of us all of the way. And so it changes how we treat each other. It changes how we engage with our struggles. It changes how we celebrate in and among the people who are with us. It changes who our neighbors are. It changes how we view our enemies. It changes how we live our lives. And God, I, I, just, I just ask that uh, this week you would give us those moments where we can stop And just be in wonder at how you're moving in our life and with us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.